everyone and welcome, or welcome back, to Ginger Gerald, you lucky bastard. I love saying that, you lucky bastard. And by the way, after listening to the pod each time, do you find yourself humming the theme tune? Da -da 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 I can't get it out of my head for days and days. Before we get going today, let me tell you that the session we did on local language last week went down an absolute storm. I even had the head of a modern languages department from a large secondary school in the UK contact me to say that the CAC formula would be incorporated into the school's curriculum. How about that? Ginger Gerald branches out into mainstream education. Who'd have thought it? And listeners in the US flooded me with comments about its relevance and its application. Thanks for the feedback, folks. And if you've no clue what I'm talking about, then have a listen to Ginger Gerald's last episode called It's All Double Dutch to Me. Today, we're going to discuss blooming bureaucracy. Maybe I should have released this episode on a Monday morning. That would have been more appropriate given the stressful nature of its content. But as Thursday is now the traditional Ginger Gerald release day, I'm going to stick to my Thursday routine. Okay, listen up folks, I'm going to read a short list of eight scenarios out to you and wherever you are and whatever you're doing right now, I want you to join in and I want you to say out loud the phrase, ooh that's annoying, after each one. Now if you don't find the scenario I described particularly annoying, then you can just sort of whisper to yourself, ooh that's annoying. But if the scenario I mentioned drives you completely and utterly nuts, then shout it out at the top of your voice. Oh, that's annoying. And feel free to add any expletives you like, okay? Whatever makes you feel better. Okay, you got the rules, very simple, and I'll explain why we're doing it, by the way, afterwards. Off we go with number one. Number one, trying to speak to someone from Ryanair on the phone. Number two, receiving emails asking you to rate a company's service when they've provided you with shocking or no service at all. Number three, finally getting to the front of the queue in Aldi, only for them to open another till. Number four, having to change a password for an online account, only for the code to get sent to a phone number you no longer have. Number five, trying to configure intelligent light bulbs. Number six, completing and submitting your tax declaration online. Number seven, following IKEA wardrobe construction instructions. And finally, number eight, getting your passport photo rejected because you have got one hair out of place seat. Well, that was fun, wasn't it? I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope none of you crashed or got weird looks from your neighbours or your kids in the back seat. Now, the purpose of that little game was to both free up your inner spirit a little and get you shouting out loud for no rational reason whatsoever. And also, as an introduction to the fact that Despite us living in an unbelievably advanced technical world, 
Many of the processes and systems put in place to protect us, to benefit us and to make our lives easier are actually incredibly annoying, ineffective and time-wasting. And that's when you live a normal life, by which I mean that you stay in the country that was assigned to you at birth. Imagine how much worse things are if you're one of those crazy people like Ginger Gerald here, who's moved numerous times from one part of the globe to another. Now, don't get me wrong, I know I'm a lucky bastard. We've already established that on this podcast, and I'm more than aware that there are so many fabulous benefits of living in different countries, with different languages and a different mix of cultures, but one of them is definitely not the huge pile of administration you're obliged to do. Blumming bureaucracy, I call it, and it's a pain in the backside. The other day, I was listening to a very learned and highbrow expat podcast, not dissimilar, to be honest, to GGYLB, actually, but with slightly longer words and slightly more of a BBC accent. I like to check out the competition in my spare time, see what they're up to, who's in my space. Anyway, they started discussing the bureaucratic burden on the expat, residency, banks, social security, healthcare, and all that jazz. Just listening to them speak calmly and intelligently, I could feel the bile rise into my throat broke out in a cold sweat. Now it's not because I haven't done it or I can't do it. It's just that I find it such a pain in the bum and almost invariably, frustratingly and painfully slow and inefficient. Now in the 25 minute slot that we've got, I'm not going to be able to go through all of the procedures that us ginger geralds have to complete when we move and live overseas. Thank the Lord for that, I hear you say. So I'm going to select just four. Four of the very best, or the very worst, depending on how you look at it. However, there are frustrating elements to each of these four examples, which I think many of you will relate to. Or at least, if you won't, don't relate to it, at least they'll act as a cautionary tales for those who are still in the planning or dreaming stage. So let's start with the big one for us foreigners abroad, residency. Now, many of us opt for the so-called easy option on this one, and they pay someone who is, or at least claims to be, an immigration lawyer, or at least an immigration admin guru. Some of these people, and I take my hat off to them, are worth their weight in gold providing you've got some gold, as their services don't always come cheap. They know the system inside out. They're usually bilingual or proficient, at least in English. Have you listened to last week's pod, by the way? It's all double Dutch to me. And the biggest plus is that they take all the stress away from you and reduce your own input and exposure to the authorities to an absolute minimum. Now, it may not surprise you to know Ginger Gerald tended not to go for this option. He preferred to do it himself. I'm not sure that was always the wisest decision, but at least you learn along the way, if you live to tell the tale, that is. I can remember the pokey little foreigner's office in downtown Cancun, where for a while we appeared to spend half of our lives. And I bet this place is 
or at least it was, so typical of these offices all over the world, wherever you live and wherever you've been. The queue, always massive. People paid other people to get there before dawn to keep a good place in the line for them. And the queue was, of course, outside with no shade from the rain or the sun. Inside, the office was tiny, smelly, old and boiling hot. The process tended to go like this. First, you queue up forever to be told you're in the wrong queue. You can't even see another queue, let alone join it. Anyway, eventually you get, you get to the front and you give in your entire file containing passports, photos, documents in triplicate, originals, copies of every certificate you've probably ever owned to prove you exist and who you are, all of them translated and officially stamped at great expense. And importantly, you are 100% confident that you've provided absolutely everything they requested and that you followed to the letter the rubbish instructions you were given on the back of a fag packet when you queued up the week before. Then you wait and you sweat. You keep your eyes firmly fixed on your own file to make sure it doesn't get lost or stolen or dropped or shoved to the back of the queue. And then you wait a little bit more you can't go to the loo, which is a good job because there actually weren't any loos. But if you do, you might miss your name being shouted out and then you have to wait another two hours. Eventually, your name gets announced. Well, something that vaguely resembles your name, probably. You've got to listen very, very carefully. And it finally feels like you won the lottery. You put a smile on your face. You get your best attitude together, you jump up to be attended and you launch into your opening speech, which you've been rehearsing for the previous ooh, three or four hours. When someone else barges in front of you and steals the immigration officer's attention. How rude, we think being British. How bloody annoying, more to the point. Now this barger inner will probably be one of those lawyers or admin gurus I mentioned a moment ago. And most likely, they used to work at the immigration office or they're an officer's sister or father. Maybe they're sleeping with one of them, who knows? And they don't have just one person's case in their grubby vanilla cardboard files. They have a dozen of them. Now, at this point, you have a choice. You can go completely bonkers at this outrageous injustice and you can writhe around the floor like your Neymar looking for a penalty and you'll probably get kicked out by security. Or you can be patient, stay calm and stay put. After all, when the guru is finished, you at least want to be the next up. Finally, 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 you manage to get someone's full attention. Hopefully it's not time for their lunch break or fag break or whatever. Only for them to nicely inform you that you're missing a document. You know, that document that you've never even heard of and which had never even been mentioned before. See you next week. Ooh, that used to make my blood boil. I'm sure this situation is not specific to Mexico. 
In Spain, they like a bit of bureaucracy too. Plenty of triplicate documents, photos, fingerprints, translations, apostilles, all that stuff. But at least it feels much more logical and a bit fairer. You feel you can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Now, we still had the joy of early morning queues in the rain or sun here in Spain, but we got our residency sorted quite quickly. And then, of course, we knew that there'd be no more residency admin for us for years to come. Or so we thought. Then that fateful day came. Brexit results day. Now, I may be wrong, but I'm guessing that the majority of you listening to this pod right now wouldn't or didn't vote to leave the EU. But the big red bus with its lies about the NHS won the day and the very, very honourable David Cameron scarped to some tax haven or other. What a complete nightmare that was for Brits living within the EU at that time, or even worse, planning to move out. And what ensued was a period of complete confusion and panic. Now, it turned out that Ginger Gerald was once again a bit of a lucky bastard, if that's what you call it, all thanks to his granddad. I was one of over 80,000 people who suddenly realised that they were entitled to and could apply for Irish citizenship and therefore an EU passport. I know that having red hair was going to come in useful one day. Now, to any genuine Irish listeners out there, I'm sorry. I know you think we're fake and we're just English dressed up as Irish. And I apologise for that. I get it. But it was a means to an end for very many thousands of us. And it worked. However, you can't pass on your newfound citizenship to your existing nearest and dearest. So the rest of the family, together with most Brits, if not all living in the EU at that time, had to follow a load of new instructions to avoid the risk of being kicked out of the place they had chosen to call their home. And so the fun began. One set of rules were announced in the UK, a completely different set came out of Brussels, and in our case, a third set came out from Madrid. And despite all of the official sources, and perhaps for the first time in history, Facebook expat groups seem to be the most reliable source of up-to-date and accurate information. But you had to be very careful what questions you asked or what advice you gave online, because the secret Brexit cyber police would be onto you to censor your every word. And repeat offenders were shot dead with their mouse still in hand. Well, that's it for residence here. Took a little while, didn't it? I'm sorry, I told you it was the big one. So let's move on to our second example. We said there was going to be four. The second most painful area of foreigner admin is finances. To open a bank account overseas, you need an address. To get an address, you need a rental agreement or house ownership documents. And to get them, you need to have a bank account. The dark and grim vortex of slow and painful death by bureaucracy. We all suffer from it from time to time and it's exasperating. Everyone who lives abroad at some point needs to transfer money from one currency and one country to another. 
And we don't use traditional banks, do we? Oh no, costs a fortune and takes forever. So we think, aha, I can use PayPal. I'm sure I've got an account somewhere, PayPal. So you start to look for it and then you find it and you start to log in. But PayPal need to ensure that you really are who you say you are. Fair enough. So you send, so they send you that little lovely code to a phone number you'd even forgotten you ever owned in a country you forgot you'd ever lived in. Oh, that's a real bummer, is it? And how often does that happen? And that's the end of that. Your code goes off into the ether somewhere, never to be retrieved. I wonder if outer space is full of all those little codes just floating around, trying not to crash into abandoned satellites or Elon Musk's new world out there. Now, to be fair, in recent times, things have got so much better and easier with the evolution of the likes of Revolut and Wise. So let's move on to our third example. The third is another corker, designed and executed to make you want to roll into a ball, get into your suitcase in a dark room and never reappear. Moving country. Now, when you move house from, for example, Casa Ocho to Casa Onze, for example, on the very same complex, which Ginger Gerald did indeed do in Mexico, then that's really not very complicated. Hard work, yes, and you need to lay on a load of beers and tacos for all of your helpers, but they just tip up, carry everything the 30 meters or so to the next house and shove everything in there. Still takes you a few days to get it all ready and a few weeks then to unpack it all, but it's an absolute walk in the park. Now imagine moving from Bangkok to Birmingham or Los Angeles to Lahore or from Mexico to Mallorca with a couple of dogs. Let me begin this particular tale of stress with a word of advice based on some quite considerable experience. Sell or donate everything you own apart from your kids and your pets. Leave the country with your passport, your phone and a backpack. That is the only genuinely stress-free solution available to you. And when you get to your new place, you can always spend a fortune that you might not have on slowly building up all your worldly crap all over again so that you can fall back into exactly the same trap in five or 10 years time. That's great. Now, my advice may sound a little foolish, a little churlish maybe, but not when like Ginger Gerald and co here, you've paid through the nose, had half of your possessions go missing, in inverted commas, somewhere en route, and the other half delayed by months somewhere at sea. Oh, and when the last few beaten up boxes finally do turn up, half empty, they come with yet another whopping big import tax bill. That set of Asterix and Obelix books cost me an absolute fortune. To be honest, our dogs did fare somewhat better. We reminded the pilot every two seconds that they were in the hold and could he please keep an eye on them. But when we finally got to see them in Madrid and they were allowed out of their crates, they went absolutely berserk. And to be honest, we were a little bit relieved. They had no worldly possessions to bring, so the journey was their only stress. Maybe we should learn from that.
Now, for my fourth and final scenario, I should tell you that not everything always goes wrong, and you do not always end up crying in a fit of frustration and impotence. So let's end on a positive note. Getting your driving license. My daughter and I decided we'd try to get Mexican driving licenses. I didn't really need one, actually, but she did, as she'd only just started driving. So I went for moral support, and I wasn't going to leave her on her own inside the Mexican police station anyway. We reckoned that our chances of walking out of the Traffico office with one, let alone two licenses, were about the same odds as Stoke City winning the Champions League that year, which, as it turned out, that particular year we didn't. Anyway, we took a deep breath, and in we went. And all seemed to be going surprisingly efficiently until it came to the eye test. Now, in our wisdom, neither of us had remembered to take our glasses. And you know those letters they show you? The letters at the top are absolutely massive, the size of a truck. And the ones at the bottom just look like baby ants. Well, neither of us could read the ones we were supposed to. We were just guessing. But the very kind examiner, she kept helping us, giving us little clues. And she let us read out the nice big letters at the top. And eventually, we got enough of them right. And the examiner was absolutely delighted with us. All we had to do was pay her in cash. I'm not sure we were offered a receipt. And we walked out of there with two brand spanking new and valid Mexican driving licenses. Now, you can make what you like of that story, but some of you will relate to bits of it. But what a result for us. So, folks, it's that time again. I hope I've made you laugh, cry and think. And I know I've made you scream because I sort of obliged you to do it at the beginning of the show. There's so much bureaucracy and so many hoops to jump through and hurdles to get over when you move countries. But if it was much easier, imagine, maybe everybody would do it. Now next week, we're going to look at the very important and serious topic of education for your kids. What options are there? Are any of them any good? What do other parents tell you about it? Or are you best off homeschooling? A belter of an episode awaits us next week, folks. And of course, I have some funny and rather concerning anecdotes to relate. Thanks for listening and subscribing. And don't forget to let me know your thoughts on the pod and any ideas you may have for future episodes. You can reach Ginger Gerald, you lucky bastard, on Facebook, on Instagram, and now even on Twitter. Look out for hashtag GGYLB1, as well as by emailing me on GGYLB at Outlook.com. So, speak to you all next week, folks. Thank, Thank you, Ginger, Ginger Gerald, Gerald, for enriching our lives.